One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Happy Friday, everybody. Got to the end of the week once again. Welcome to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Taz here with you. And uh, we'll get into a bunch of football-related things uh, in, in due course here. Steve and I, before we came on, we were talking about Caitlin Clark, the uh, women's basketball phenom at the University of Iowa, who just set the record for all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball history and puts it up from the logo to set the record. <laughs> so I was playing it's Michigan. like a 32-footer. Yeah, if you, haven't met, if you haven't seen this, so this girl can really who She's a really good player. And they're playing Michigan, Iowa-Michigan, a little pretty a rivalry. And... <laughs> She needs eight points on the night, and this, you know, so this she's is gonna get it. this is like the Michael Jordan of college women's college basketball. So she's going to get eight points. Well, she proceeds to pop a couple of threes from the logo at center court, just inside the logo at yeah. center court, and she's nailing them. I mean, she ain't even pull, she didn't even hesitate. She's like yeah. doing it on the run. It it was amazing. She not only set the all time scoring record for a career. She also set the single-game scoring record in University of Iowa history because she dropped 49 last night. <laughs> it was really cool. Now, here's the thing. Really cool. Here's the thing that's interesting. There is already a freshman on the scene that people believe will break Caitlin Clark's scoring record that she just set. She's at USC. She's a freshman. Juju Watkins, and she is redonkulous. And they all – yeah. So – well. Records remain Caitlin, to be broken. Caitlin's got a few more games. Well, so that's this right. Gonna, this going to this going to be up a couple, probably another hundred. Well, I don't know how many games. You know, whatever her average is, that's how much this thing's going to go up. Right. I mean, the team will they'll make the tournament. They have their conference tournament. So even when you get to the end of the season, you know, if your team makes a deep run in the conference tournament, which I think people would tend to expect for Iowa and the Big Ten on the women's side. Um, you know, she's probably looking at potentially after the regular season's over, she could be playing five, six more games, depending on how deep well, they go in the conference tournament and how deep they go in the national tournament. The way I understand it, too, she might have another year of eligibility. Um, Is that right? No. Because I heard that somebody— She got an extra year because uh, she was her freshman year was the COVID year. Okay. I think, that, I, think I have that right. I don't think she has another year. She can't do anything else at the college level. My God. Well, um, money, but. well she's making a hefty amount of that. Um, yeah, impressive, to say the least. Um, we know, and we told you about this, and obviously we probably weren't the first people to tell you about this, but in the wake of the unfortunate shooting at the conclusion of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade that left one person dead and more than 20 wounded, many of whom were children, to no one's surprise, the Bills Mafia has stepped forward to answer the call for support. Some members of Chief's Kingdom, just three days after the shooting, are thanking Bills Mafia specifically for all their support with $22 donations. That's for the number of people wounded in this incident that have poured in from Western New York and forever, wherever else Bills Mafia is to support the children wounded in the incident who were at Children's Mercy Hospital after the uh, unfortunate incident took place. Happy to say all but one of the wounded have been discharged at this point from the hospital. 
Um, but if you'd like to donate to the cause to help turn a negative into a positive, like Bill's Mafia has done time and again, you can go to support.childrensmercy.org slash give. Um, there's another slash after that, 280980. Uh, but if you select option four on the page with your $22 amount, you can also type in Chiefs Parade Shooting Victims so they know why your donation is being made. Again, unfortunate what these acts of kindness are in direct response to, but it is heartwarming to see it yet again from Bill's Mafia. So well done. Um, right. Kind of proving that the Chiefs are only rivals on game days. Yeah. Uh, perspective is a is a pleasant thing to experience. Yeah. And uh, certainly the Bill's Mafia has shown their ability to do that. I'm, Meanwhile, Taylor Swift has donated $100,000 to the family of Lisa Lopez Galvin, the woman killed in the shooting after the Kansas City parade was over. The goal for her family was to raise 75000 but with Swift's contribution, they went over the mark and in 14 hours raised one hundred and eighty grand, counting Taylor Swift's one hundred k. How about so that? kudos Girlf- to her. A girlfriend of one of the players donated it. And yeah. she's not just any old girlfriend. but you know. And, I mean, we all know she has the financial wherewithal to do that, but yeah. she didn't have to do it. She did not. But she did. Nobody would have thought twice if it had not happened. By the way, Caitlin Clark has an extra year. She does. If she okay. wants it. But I don't think she's going to take it. She, she can't do anything else at the college level. I was going to forget to tell you that, <clears throat> but you're right. The tragedy in Kansas City, kudos to the Bills Mafia for stepping up to that. Kudos to Taylor Swift for going the extra mile on her way. Um, and, you know, just uh, just a tragic event that um, good people make the most out of. Um, so kudos to all those people who donated and, and uh, to all those people whose thoughts were, were with us and made some efforts. So appreciate that. Yeah, and this just came down now. Two teenagers that were detained after the shooting, they've been officially charged now um, by, by the um, Jackson County Family Court Division. Um, charges have been officially levied against those two suspects. So I anticipate swift justice in that one. Um, so, I mean, with all the cell phone cameras rolling and everything else, I mean, I got to believe there are there's enough footage to be pretty convincing in that case. So we'll see what comes of it uh, in the coming months. Uh, The biggest news around the NFL concerns the Las Vegas Raiders and Jimmy Garoppolo. As the Jimmy Garoppolo era, if we can call it that, Steve, in Las Vegas, is over. Raiders quarterback Jimmy G is being suspended two games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing substances policy, The policy violation is reportedly related to him using a prescribed medication without having a valid therapeutic use exemption. So a lot of times when you have some medication that you need to go on for an ailment, an affliction, whatever, and you're an NFL player, you have to get it cleared by your doctor so you can submit paperwork to the league saying, hey, I know this is an an illegal, a banned substance on the performance-enhancing list, but because of my condition, here is my doctor saying I need to be prescribed this, and then you can become exempt. He did not do that, so he is facing a two-game suspension for whatever team he winds up signing with because 
The report is also saying the Raiders are expected to release Garoppolo. So, well, they're re- releasing him because he's he has his play has not been worthy of the eleven point. Yeah, he's costing a lot of money. Manage, uh, roster bonus that he will be due when the league, new league year changes over. So, um, that's why they're releasing him. This has it has nothing to do with this suspension. Um, the rules apply to everybody, and this certainly seems like a technicality, which is probably why he only got two games um, in the off season. He's taking a prescribed medicine and just didn't go, just didn't get a doctor's note or at least a uh, a notification uh, paper, the notification paperwork that you send to the league. Sounds like a bookkeeping error, but it counts. What are you going to do? Yeah, wind up being it. a pretty costly one. Um, what would you say? The peak of Garoppolo's career is the NFC title, right? Getting yes. to the Super Bowl with the Niners. Yes. That's it. Yes. I mean, he was. I don't even know if you could call him a supernova. Like no. he had one really good year where most people would argue he was a complimentary piece on what was largely a defense that got San Francisco to the Super Bowl. He is a name on the list of quarterbacks Kyle Shanahan was able to win with. Hmm. Um, now, Shanahan, you can say what you want about Kyle Shanahan. I, I got a lot of respect for the guy. He has done it with a ton of different quarterbacks. He got absolutely crushed by the quarterback injury bug last year. Uh, yeah, they're to, like their fifth quarterback right. in the NFC title and game. And they got to the NFC title game. Um, give the guy some credit. He deserves some of that. But Jimmy Garoppolo is on that list, and that's as high as it goes. And there was talk, and we and we've even talked about it. How when he left New England, Jimmy Garoppolo left New England, there was rumblings that some people in the organization wanted to keep Jimmy and get rid of Tom Brady. That seems absolutely ridiculous at this point in history, but that's what the rumors were bouncing around the league. Uh, yeah, that and of course now in hindsight, that's probably not true. Yeah, I um, I'm kind of wondering where the Raiders go here because, you know, their rookie Aiden O'Connell from last season was a fourth round pick and ended up starting like this whole second half of the season wasn't right. tremendous, um, but I guess you could call him serviceable. I certainly don't know that he's franchise material. Um, and you they look got, at the Raiders, and they, the they 15, pick 13th. 13th pick. Yeah. They got to be in the market for a quarterback, right? Like, might be able to get Michael Penix down there, um, the Washington kid. So, yeah. I don't know. Like, they, <laughs> they, they need a franchise quarterback desperately. So, I don't know. Um, what do you think about Jimmy G as a backup I am thinking that's where he's going to end up. I mean, yeah. you could. I mean, think who is going to, you know, what are his options? I mean, he's going to be a backup in the league if he's anywhere. Is he going right? to go? He's not going to. Yeah, be. you could think of him going to like a, a team like Seattle, who you know, tra- in the transition, bring him in for some competition and some experience. I know where my wife would like to see him as a backup. Washington. My wife would like to see him as a backup right here. Right, she yeah. thinks he's one handsome devil, and he is. Um, okay. No. But that's not going to happen. Uh, no. And then Washington could bring, you know, if Carolina comes out of their stupor 
and wants to get better at quarterback, they could hire him. I'm telling you right now, this guy should just go into modeling. Seriously. Like, he could make a ton of money. Dude, he's making... Guy could be a cologne model. Are you kidding me? He could could be a cologne model. Could Could he not? Tell me I'm wrong. He could sell soap. He could sell anything. I mean, you're making me uncomfortable now. I'm making you uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting no. the guy is a handsome man. I don't care if he's I'm handsome. I'm confident or enough not. in my masculinity to admit I, that. I'm, I'm not. I don't care if Are he's handsome. Are you can okay? Or not. I don't care if he. I don't. I, I want to know if the guy can play, and I don't think he can. Right. All the more reason to become a model. You might as well switch industries. Yes. I think you could make just as much money. Those people make tons of money. Well, there you go. He Jimmy might. G, I'm telling you, I'll be your agent. My God. I'll yeah. take 3% of that. Cut? Are you kidding me? It's yeah. It's he can't play quarterback, right? And I'm you go down Washington. I mean, he's doing I'm sub sandwich commercials. <laughs> he could do a lot better. I'm telling you. Right. Somebody get on the horn with his marketing agent uh, and tell okay. him to pivot. It's time. Maybe. Yeah, it might might be time when you get cut by the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, it might be time because they have Aiden O'Connell. Yeah, right. It might be time to. Yeah, that's. Yeah, you've gone. Make a you've, career you, switch. Uh, but think about it. You could, he could go back up a team like the Chargers. He could compete in Tennessee with Lee, Will Levis. Uh, is that right, Will Levis? Will Levis. Um, He's not going to compete with Will right. Levis. He would be a veteran back up there, too. He could back up, he could back up Russ Wilson. Um, there's a ton of teams that are looking around, you know, Tampa Bay bring him in to compete with with Baker. I saw an uh, interesting although Baker's a free agent. Yeah, I saw an interesting story this week. There was a story that said, or suggested anyway, that the New England Patriots may try to steal Baker Mayfield away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. From your lips to God's ears, let it happen. <laughs> Let it. Happen. You don't think AVP could do something with Baker? Right. And we had a little, we had a little flutter moment in the office today too, because some um, joke account put out that Tua was going to sign for 180 million over four years, and they were going to make more. Jo- so we were like, Steve well, "Yeah!" Was, Steve was so happy. I was, I was like, like, "They did it! They signed Steve, him!" Who's reporting that? Right. And then it turned out it was a joke. But yeah, I mean, bring Baker to New England and. Sign Tua to an extension worth fifty million a year. Yeah, I'm all about it. And then bring bring A Rod back too, man. Yeah, well, he is back. He's under. Yeah. Oh yeah. Off an Achilles. He's gonna be that guy. The division hasn't looked any rosier. I know. <laughs> the AFC East. Look, I mean, think of, put Josh up against all of those guys. Yeah. It is an absolute train wreck waiting to happen. That. Uh, with new head coach in New England, an absolute dumpster fire in the Meadowlands at MetLife with the Jets, and then Miami flopping around down there. You know, they're, they got like six guys making all the money. Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't be opposed. I, you know, the and the Bills bringing back their entire. Baker did have a nice season. I mean, you got to give him some credit there. He did have a nice season in Tampa last year. He was productive for them. Granted, he was in the weakest division in football. It was as good a season as we've seen him have in uh, going all the way back to when Freddie Kitchens was the offensive coordinator the year before they gave Freddie Kitchens the head job. Yeah, and he flamed in Cleveland. out. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
that's you know they they look he looked good for eight games in Cleveland. Freddie Kitchens, wow, and then, yeah, just and, took me back. And wow, and then uh, yeah, so tip your hat to Baker Mayfield for the season he put together. But he's a free agent. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, isn't it? It is because that uh, we're in a different world right here in Buffalo. We are in a different. I world. mean, we Tampa could resign him anytime they want if they pony up the money. Right. Uh, he wants to go back to Tampa. I, mean, I think are he you does. Kidding me? But I mean, I although I, they did lose their OC, I tweeted out today. We're in a different world, and I tweeted it out today. Josh had more touchdowns and the same amount of interceptions through the regular season and and the playoff run this year. Josh had more total touchdowns and the same number of turn, uh, interceptions as the MVP and the comeback player of the year combined. Combined. Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson had fewer touchdowns and the same amount of interceptions as Josh did through the playoffs and regular season this last year. The comeback player of the year and the MVP didn't have as good a year as our guy. Yeah. Yep. Come on, bro. Yeah, sign that guy. Dopes. You can have Baker all you want. Uh, yeah. So we're in a different world here in the AFC East. When you said Freddie Kitchen, so <laughs> I'm shocked that I remembered that name. I, I, I'm I gotta tell you, man. You talk um, about being off the radar. I wouldn't have remembered it if you asked me to. Uh, I still remember seeing him on the sideline with a very loose fitting hoodie, very loose fitting Browns hoodie, a worn out baseball hat. Yeah. And I would see him on the sidelines on game day. You know, the first person I thought of. Do you remember the character Cooter from Dukes of Hazzard? <laughs> that is the first guy yes. I would think of. The only yes. thing that Freddie Kitchens was day, missing a four was day sawing, beard. sawing off the sleeves on the hoodie. Four-day beard. And he would have been Cooter from and, Dukes and, of Hazzard. Yeah, he, and he, had, uh, he used to dip, too, so whatever. Yes, you're right. That was something else. <laughs> that, was, that was my vision. Every time they cut to the sidelines. That's when the Browns were really the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's when the Browns were living it up um, in a way they probably never anticipated. Uh, so that that is our abbreviated Around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official health care system uh, of the Buffalo Bills. And, uh, Steve, one other quick note here. We're already seeing the beginning of teams lopping off cost-prohibitive salaries. I saw the Bears yesterday uh, released veteran safety Eddie Jackson Starting guard Cody Whitehair, those guys got clipped uh, to save them. I want to say it was over $12 million in salary cap space. Um, we do know the Bears have the number one pick, and a lot of stuff is swirling around what they're going to do. Are they going to trade Justin Fields and draft Caleb Williams, or are they going to keep Justin Fields, trade out of that number one pick, and get a boatload of picks in return? I think it is the primary $64 million question of the draft right now because the very tip-top of the draft could have a different name in slot number one before we get to April, what is it, 24th? The the, the word going That around, is the quintessential headliner yes, of the draft. The word going around is the Steelers are really interested in Justin Fields. Yeah. And Falcons are too. Mike, Mike Tomlin publicly said he really likes the guy. Um, the Bears, being the Bears that we all know and love – Will probably or, or snicker at y- yes. They'll probably trade Justin Fields to the Pittsburgh Steelers, where he will be supported by a quality organization and turn into at least 
a passable, if not competitive, starting quarterback, maybe even better. Yeah. And the Bears will botch the first tip pick of the draft, and we'll get a guy that can't play. I, I think there's enough in there with, they're gonna with get, Justin Fields. They're going to draft two oh, guys, boy. number one, and they're gonna, the second one's going to be the bust. Oh, wow. That is the bearsiest Bears thing of all. Is it? Yes. Because they got a lot of Bearsy things. That yes, that but they've done on. over the years. A number one overall, they're gonna they're gonna kick a really good player that they just drafted to the curb and draft a bust. Now I'm not saying Caleb Williams gonna be, but I'm just saying that's how it'll work out for the Bears. Are the Jets the only team that have more such happenings? Well, Cleveland and Detroit are in that conversation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, as far as yeah, – the, the Bears are they, – they're in a, an enormous, enormous market, and they're trying to build their own stadium because the, the politics in Chicago is just crushing them. Uh, the downtown stadium and the fact that they don't own that stadium, and it's just a mess. So they're trying to actually get out of that. I mean, it's just one thing after another, but I don't know. I, the Jets are in that conversation, particularly here in the AFC East. That The Aaron Rodgers incident, the Achilles last year, four plays into what was the absol- an absolute red-hot inferno of attention in the offseason. Oh, they were going to the Super Bowl. They were absolutely... They were winning the division, going to the Super Bowl. That w- They were... The whole ball of wax. Oh, my gosh. Every... And, Four plays into the season, it all snapped. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. Or maybe it was intended. Uh, we want to remind you, today is Friday, and that means the OBL Friday fan mailbag is open, where Steve and I answer your most pressing questions on the Bills and the NFL at large. So fire those off at us at will, and we'll be happy to do our best to answer them at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Coming up in hour number two, we will also be joined by Pro Football Focus's Sam Monson as uh, we discuss free agent market, among other things, with Sam in hour number two of the show. Uh, but in the meantime, we go to the phones and we lead off today with Gordon in East Aurora. What's up, Gordon? You're on One Bills Live. I'm wondering why the defense plays zone instead of covering the guys. We're getting beat on that on the short passes. Uh, well, uh, we kind of had a similar question yesterday, Gordon, and I'll, I'll just tell you that uh, the Bills played less zone last year under Sean McDermott, who was calling the defensive plays. They tried to play more aggressively. As a matter of fact, there were times where Coach McDermott, due to injury losses, uh, was very aggressive on occasions. I remember the Philadelphia game specifically, which obviously did not go Buffalo's way, although they did get the defensive stop at the end of the game. And it took a miracle 59-yard field goal in a driving rainstorm on a mud pit of a field uh, to send the game to overtime. Kick of the year yeah, in the entire league, in my estimation, um, you know, by Elliott. So call it what you will, but in, just using that game as a small example, he called cover zero blitzes, which means man coverage across the board, no help. And there were times where they got victimized. The problem was the injuries that this defense sustained, particularly in the back seven, 
restricted Sean McDermott from being as aggressive as I believe he wanted to be. He was still aggressive at times through the course of the season. I don't think there's any debate about that. But I don't even think this defense was as aggressive as he wanted to be because of the health of the unit. So I know you want to criticize, hey, too much cushion, too, too many easy throws underneath. The bottom line was the Bills did not have the manpower and personnel healthy to play as much man coverage as they wanted. Um, you can disagree with that There's if you want, also, but that's kind of where back, I stand on You can it. also go back to like a game like the Cincinnati game where you know, they gave up they gave up the pass down the sidelines late in the game to give them the first down that, that won the game for Cincinnati. Um, they got oh, nicked. week nine you're yeah, talking about? They got, they got nicked a couple of times playing man yeah. when they just didn't have the guys to play it. And they got beat and it cost them the game or it cost them a chance to win the game at least. So I, I would caution everybody out there, and this sounds rudimentary, but I would ca- don't make generalizations about the entire team and the entire defensive philosophy of over a handful of plays or even one game. Um, you gotta, you got to dive into the percentages and the analytics and all of that stuff to really understand why they were doing certain things because it changes on a week-to-week basis vastly. And Based on opponent, player availability, right. all of that stuff. It's, it changes vastly on a week-to-week basis because of your opponent. It changes because of your people and who's available. Uh, changes because of conditions, um, all of that. So, I would don't. I mean, don't get caught up in the why we. You know, I remember in this game we ran so much man that it, well. There's reasons for that that don't that go beyond hoping you don't get beat. Yeah. So, I, I I'll listen to it, and I, and I know that that you you know you're you got your call in good faith, but remember that. Um, none of these games are are identical, and the philosophy of one game doesn't necessarily go to the next game. Yeah. Back to the phones and to Butch in East Buffalo. What's up, Butch? Well, guys, thanks so much for taking my call. Happy Friday to you guys. Um, I just want to get right into it. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, I want to just say uh, I want to say congratulations and I applaud uh, one Bill's drive with the staff hirings of this year. We were speaking, Steve, you, Chris, and, and, and Maddie, and all of us, we were speaking about earlier this year about changing over so so these young players have someone to relate to when you're speaking about teaching. And since then, since that conversation, uh, we have seen so many different young hires on this staff. And I really believe since Sean McDermott has been here, this is probably the youngest t- coaching staff, teaching staff that he has had to relate to these young players coming out of college. And the reason why I say that is, and I'm I'm going to be real short, is that me personally looking in this draft and looking at the 18, what, 18 players that's on free agents that we might lose, uh, we're going to be bringing a lot of young kids in here, a lot of young talent in here, and they're going to have to play. Uh, I look at this draft coming up, and I know Brownie and Steve, you guys have been going at it about the wide receiver, and like I said before, I want them to move back. But I really want them to look at, look at just keeping Josh Allen up on his feet. I, I know we got – Mitch Moore is there, and I know Mitch is all carrying a lot of money on his bag and and everything. But I, w- I would like to see them try to get. J- I, w- I would like to see them try to get Jackson uh, Jackson John- Johnson, you know Jackson Powers, Powers John- Johnson. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really like him. I look at him as a Ken Hall. I look at him as a Jeff Saturday. I look at him as a as a starter from day one that could be with Josh's whole career. And also maybe later on in draft, we always since we lost three running backs, I look at maybe in the fifth round and getting a kid out of Nyack, New York, and went to Notre Dame named Audrick Estine, a uh, big power yeah, back. Yeah, 225, yeah. That he could go side-by-side side with Cook. And then and along with picking up other picks to help this draft. But I just wanted to call to say I applaud the Bills for getting young on the coaching staff where they have people who can relate to these young players that players that can teach. And I thank them for that. I thank WG, WGR for, for taking this call. I love MSG, and I definitely love the fans. And you guys already know. God bless. I love you and your family. All right. Thanks, Thanks so Butch. much for taking my call. Thanks, Butch. Um, I, I think you could draw some logical conclusions from some of the turnover we witnessed on the staff. Obviously, performance is a big part of the decisions that Sean McDermott makes with his coaching staff. And obviously, Joe Brady did enough to earn the job on a full-time basis after being promoted interim midway through the season. And Joe Brady's 34 years old. I think he turns 35 this year. That's young uh, for a coordinator uh, in this league. And so, yeah, you, you got younger there. Uh, you got younger on the back end. Your defensive coordinator is 40 years old now in Bobby Babich. And some of the secondary coaches that got brought on staff. Booker, who just got named to the staff yesterday, has worked in Tennessee, done some good job, good stuff with uh, the secondary there with the Titans. Uh, he's got a pro, perennial Pro Bowl guy there in Kevin Byard, uh, who is an interception maven. So that certainly stands out on his resume. So, yeah, it's they got younger. Is it is it a precursor to how this roster is going to look in the fall? It could be. It could be. And we always hear Coach McDermott, Steve, talk all the time about how important it is for his coaches to exude energy on the practice field because he wants it to get poured into his players so they compete at a high level in the practice setting. The acid test is going to be how the players respond. I could see a scenario now with a change in coaching staffs or whatever where a guy, for instance, like a Kyrie Elam, who all of a sudden changes into a different player and gets more opportunity or different opportunity or starts making the most of opportunities, Kyrie Elam could thrive under a new coaching style. Guys like that. Uh, Dane Jackson, you know, all, all these guys in the secondary, the safeties, everybody could really – it could change you. Um, for the better. For the better. Absolutely for the better. So um, that I know as a player, I, I can think back to all the position coaches, the wide receiver coaches I had here in Buffalo over the years that I was here. I was here for a decade, and I had like three guys or four guys, and they all greatly affected your ability to play and, and the opportunities and all of that, the atmosphere in the room. The guys that played ahead of me, like Andre Reed and James Lofton and Don Beebe and Brad Lamb and uh, you know, Al Edwards, um, all of those guys, you could, you know, some of them really thrived under certain coaching. So I'm kind of excited to see how that is going to affect some of the guys on this roster that we'd like to, you know, coming into their third year, you know, when that big, that big year or, you know, that kind of thing. I'm really excited to see some of these guys get an opportunity with a different voice in the room directing them. Got to take a break here, but the Friday fan mailbag is open. We got more of your phone calls coming up in our next segment. Gary in Niagara Falls, Rick in California. We'll get to you when we get back here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
right, back here on an OBL Friday fan mailbag. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, taking your questions on the Bills, the NFL, whatever you got under the sun. Happy to answer it for you at 803-0550, Got some open lines for you there. If you don't have time to call, you can always hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. But let's go to Gary in Niagara Falls next. What's up, Gary? Hi, gentlemen. Um, I, I just, I just have. Um, I think I called a simple question. I'm, I'm a hockey player, so I don't know that much about football, as you guys know. But why? What do the Bills need to make a change? Either coaching or an addition of players or a deletion of players to compete with Kansas City. It's simply like that. Can you give me an answer? Gary, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. What makes you think they're not competing? They beat them in the regular season. They hold them to three point. It's a three-point game every time they, they, uh, they play. The Bills... Uh, you can say that the Chiefs have ended the Chiefs se- the Bills season, you know, in the playoffs the last three years or two of the, of the last three, last three of the last four, whatever. Uh, that is not I'm, not I'm, competing. My, my, my answer is we were not in the Super Bowl, so give me. A- so he wants to know how you get over on Kansas City, basically. Yeah, play better than you played the day it, they ended your season. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's not. They're I mean, doing the Bills do the Bill and the Chiefs do too, and the the Ravens do. The Bills do, the Chiefs do, the Bengals have. Um, they do a, a ton of things the right way. They make the right decisions. They got the right philosophy. They sign the right guys. They cut the right guys. They've got great coaches. They refurbish their coaching staff this year. They've got some new players they're going to add this year by just because of the contract thing. The Bills do a lot of things right. You've got to do a million things right to get to the level where the Bills and the Chiefs and the Bengals and the the Ravens are in this whole thing. And the and the, the Houston Texans have begun to do a lot of those things right. There are no guarantees. The Bills could get the number one pick of the draft, take Marvin Harrison Jr., get the number two pick of the draft, get the best defensive lineman, get the number three pick of the draft, get the best, another best defensive lineman, do whoever you want. They could pick the top ten picks of this draft. You're still not guaranteed you're even going to get to the playoffs. You've got to do so much right to get there. What you're asking for is a team to get there and give yourself a chance. The Bills got all the way through a regular season – Climbed out of a six and six hole. They've got the best player in the National Football League at quarterback. They got one of the best all time best wideouts the 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 franchise has ever had. They got a running back who's young and upcoming. They got the best tight end tandem the team has ever had in its history. They got one of the best offensive lines the team's ever had in its history. I mean, they're they're going to have another chance at it, and you can't project what happened the last three years onto this year because if you think you're going to do one magic wave one little magic wand and beat pat mahomes and andy reed what are you going to do when it rains that day and the and it because of that you lose the game or what are you going to do if before the game one of your key players twists their ankle and now you can't match up and they beat you because of that there's just no way you've got it what you do is you build your team the best way you can, and then you see if you can beat the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are going to see if they can beat you because they're building their team the same way. They got key guys, so do the Bills. They got really good coaches, so do the Bills. Those, those franchises are on a collision course. Those ones I've mentioned are on a collision course every year unless something derails them that they can't control. 
Now, all that being said, Steve and I have said that, you know, they are in an arms race with the Chiefs and could probably use a bona fide outside weapon in the passing game to augment their receiving core, someone with size, playmaking ability, and a high catch rate, and the ability to separate. Um, Fortunately, this is a deep wide receiver class in the draft, and adding someone of that ilk would probably help their cause because, as we saw this year, it didn't matter if you were the number one defense in the league, the number two defense in the league, or the number four defense in the league, the Chiefs beat all three of those teams, the Bills, the Ravens, and the Niners because they have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. So it might be time to lean on the offensive side of the ball and simply just try to outscore that other team, although the Chiefs' defense is pretty good too. So it's, it sounds easy. It's not. You yeah, can't just Chiefs pick one actually, thing and presto change, oh, you're better yeah, than that. The Chiefs have also doubled down on their success rate because of the way they drafted on their defensive side of the ball in the last yeah. year or two. They've really hit on some guys that can play, some, some all-time great ones, which is, which is really difficult to do. They did it, and kudos to them. That doesn't mean the Bills can't compete with them. Yeah. Uh, there's no this, And I'll say this, too, Gary, in Niagara Falls, you said you're a hockey player. Football it, is not hockey. It is not hockey. You don't – we well, see this all the time. 25 guys on a hockey team. 25 guys on hockey, and you get like two lines that are better than everybody else, and you got a team. And it's not like that in football. You don't – and like we've been hearing the last month or so, you, it's not like that in football where you just fire the coach and all of a sudden your team's automatically better like they think it's going to be in hockey for some reason. That is never the case in football. You've got a couple of hundred people you're trying to manage, not 20. It's a different animal. And so to, to transpose what works in one sport onto another is different. It's impossible, and it's not accurate, and it doesn't work. So, um, and I'm not saying you're doing that, Gary, but you said you were a hockey guy, didn't understand football. It's not like football is not hockey. And it's self-evident in a million ways. But you've got to do things right at this time of year and in the in the coming months of off season, you got to do things right in the draft, OTAs, preseason, mini camp, training camp, all the way through the regular season, all the way to the playoffs. You've got to build on everything throughout the course of a year to have another chance at at the Chiefs, if you want. It's it's not. I, I'm. I, I'll say it again. There ain't no hump. You just got to play good on that day. You got to come down. You got to make the kick. You got to make another play. You got to make one more play than that other team. And changing your philosophy and doing something completely different this offseason is stupid. It's stupid. And all these, all these, you know, these intellects who call up and say, well, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and expect different results, that's insanity. You're the one that's insane. Why don't we just play golf then? Well, the roster let's, changes. Let's play tennis. Let's anyway. play tennis instead. We'll beat them by playing tennis. How about that? Doing that different, you dope. No, you got to put your football team together the best way you can and play as well as you can. That's how you do it. Yeah, and there ain't no magic potion there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I get it. I'm sorry. There is not going to be any one thing. We get it last year. You get it last year. This is it. Man, 
you know, Gabe Davis is going to make that jump from being that four touchdown guy in that can in the thirteen second game. He's going to make that jump. No, it doesn't work. It, you got to just keep going. Yeah, you got to keep building it the best way you can and and measure up every year. Let's jump back on the phones and go to Rick in California. What's up, Rick? Hey, Brownie, Steve, how you guys doing? Good. Good, good. Hey, a couple of things for you, but first of all, I want to say about the draft, I'm not worried about the draft in the least. I uh, I really do want an awesome wide receiver like everybody does, don't get me wrong. But since Bean and McDermott has been in charge of the Buffalo Bills, the only thing that's ever beaten us is ourselves, either the injuries, penalties, and turnovers. That's it. That's what kills us. It's, not, it's execution. The coaches have nothing to do with it, you know. I mean, the 13-second game, okay, I'll give it that. That was a complete coach's error, no doubt, no question. Ever since then, it's execution by the players. The coaches have nothing to do with turning the ball over or getting injuries of the players or the penalties that are caused on the field. If we limit those three issues by half, we're winning two or three Super Bowls in a row, in my opinion. That's my part of the draft. But my question why I called in today is about the coaches' challenges. Now, the coaches only get two challenges a game, correct? Yes, they get a third if if they get their one of those if two they challenges. Get one right, they can get yeah. a third, yeah. Okay, well, my question to you, gentlemen, is this. I, I know it, it prolongs the game, and nobody wants a three-hour game or, or a four-hour whatever. But let's just say give the, give the teams two challenges, okay, if they keep challenging and winning, they should automatically get to keep those challenges throughout the entire game. If they lose a challenge, okay, take it away, and that's one less. Sure. But hypothetically speaking, if if McDermott throws the flag nine times and wins nine challenges, he should be able to keep his challenges. And that will definitely keep the reins tighter on the officiating crews because if they lose nine challenges in a game, yeah, they're going to be fired or sent down the creek. You know, but... If you get two challenges only to, and you lose them both, okay, great. They don't get no more challenges. I agree with that. But if they throw a challenge flag and they win those challenges, why do they get penalized and getting them taken away? Is it strictly because of the TV time or you know the time of the game? Well, yeah. they get a timeout taken away. Yeah. I would say yes, you're right. That's all it is. It's the running time of the game. The NFL wants these games in yeah. three hours. Nine challenges is going to bog the game down to no right. end. So it's just not feasible. I'll say this too. And they lose the time. The penalty is they lose a timeout um, if yeah. they're wrong on a challenge. And I'll say this too, and, and it's that's a good call, Rick. And, and I, I get your faith in being a McDermott in the draft, and and you're right. Brownie and I have talked about it. You, the Bills, if you're going to beat the Bills, they got to help you or you're not going to get it done. Yeah. Um, you're right. But that's true for a lot of good teams. That's true for the Chiefs. It's true for the Ravens. It's true for the Bengals. It's true for all the teams at the top of the league. They feel like, and Brownie and I and all Bills fans observe, the Bills really, if you're going to beat them, you got to help them. The Bills have to help that team beat them. And that's, that's true of all good teams. And this coach's challenge thing, you're right. Uh, it is strictly running time of the game. They want it to fit in a three-hour window, and the more challenges and all that stuff you get, they know all the numbers about how long it takes to challenge and why and the average time and how long it would expand the game time. They don't want that. And they'll fight against it. The league will because of their TV partners. They want to fit it in a three-hour window. You're right. And I, my son, a lot of people know my son played in Canada for seven years. Had a, we had a great time up there. It was a great league. And they do things, some of this stuff differently. They, they can challenge anything, They right? can challenge any call at any time on the field, whether it's a judgment call or not, and even if it is away from the ball. 
they can charge. So if you give up a big play on the other side mm-hmm. and you say, wait a minute, we gave a big play, but their offensive guy jumped before the ball or you know he was holding or they had a pick play on the other side, whatever you call it, offensive pass interference, you can challenge the play and it, that touchdown can be brought back because of a penalty that nobody called and nobody saw other than your coaching staff. That's Because of that, coaches wait until the second half of those CFL games to call because they then they know it can really make a difference. You know, the game's on the line. Keep an eye out. If we give up a, an explosive play, we're going to challenge it, make sure we've got a good challenge. And it takes forever to play those games sometimes. So that's – you're right, um, Rick from California. The thing that keeps that from, be, from being – done all the time is the running time of the game that's why they got that that the spy the eye in the sky the the officiating judge from the top um he you'll see it and they keep they doing it live they don't even announce it they'll adjust the spot say yes he got the first down no he got the first down they review things ongoing now and keep the game moving and a lot of times you just don't hear about it Break time for us here. More of your phone calls when we return. Randy in Depew will lead us off here on One Bills Live next. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to an OBL Friday fan mailbag here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Right back to the phones we go into Randy in Depew. Uh, Randy, what do you got for us? Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I had a question about the uh, draft. I know this year we were getting a third-round compensatory pick because we lost uh, Edmonds in the free agency market. And I was wondering how that works with – someone who's not a first round pick, for instance, if we had lost this upcoming year, Epinesa, and also maybe lost Gabe Davis, would we get compensatory picks from them as well, even though they were lower round picks? Yeah. I'll hang up and listen to your explanation. Yeah. There's not a, a fully understood formula as to how it works because the league kind of keeps it under wraps. I think for fear of persecution. Um, But I do know that first and foremost, you need a net loss of free agents. You need to lose more than you sign to qualify for any compensatory picks. Uh, The second part of that equation is, did someone you lose sign a giant contract somewhere else? Because the bills are pretty much dead even in terms of the free agents that qualify Because, for example, the free agents that the Bills signed in May and June, like Puna Ford and Leonard Floyd, do not go into that equation. There is a window that closes on the free agents that qualify to determine your net loss of free agents. And you already see how far down the rabbit hole we're getting here. But the bottom line that you need to know is it is more about the size of the contract that the player you lose signed somewhere else than it is what round they were drafted in as rookies. Um, So it's the quality of the player and their play in the NFL and the contract that they signed for elsewhere. Um, That's the biggest part of it. And as we know, Tremaine Edmonds signed a four-year, $72 million contract with $50 million guaranteed and was a starting middle linebacker for the Bears. So it is believed that that is going to get the Bills a third-round 
compensatory draft selection. Yeah. It and let's face it, the Bills signed a ton of free agents last year, uh, but they were free agents. You know, Deontay not Hardy, too, not too many Shurfield, for big money. Not for big, you know, uh, Connor McGovern, the guard, yeah, three is, years, twenty three million. Was that's the biggest their biggest contract. contract. So uh, the net loss is is both financial and uh, you know role players for you know a guy who's you know supposedly a superstar. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's you're right. Brownie's right. It is a little bit shrouded in mystery as to yeah. where these picks come from. But that's the general. I'm sure it's. Gist. I'm sure it's written out somewhere. But I've never seen it spelled out completely. Yeah. He's right. It could be the. It sometimes it's the sheer number. If you lose a ton of guys and bring all your own guys back, uh, and you know, and replace them with draft picks or whatever, there's something in there about that. The money certainly has something to say about it. It's the big frontline players that sign big contracts elsewhere that get teams third-round compensatories and fourth-round compensatories. The later ones are due more to a net loss of free agents. And I don't know whether they go back and look at snap counts, that kind of thing. Um, they can do that as well. So it's, yeah. it, it, it's a good question. It's a good question, Randy, but I, I don't know that that really solves it for you. because, Well, he, he wanted to know primarily – is where they're drafted count in the equation. It does not. It's more about the career they've had in the league and the money they sign for elsewhere when you lose them. That's the key point. Uh, let's squeeze David in North Carolina in here before the break. What do you got, David? David, are you there? Hello? Yeah, you're on, buddy. Hey, uh, I have a question for Steve. Yeah. Hey, Steve, uh, has Buffalo ever reached out to you uh for guidance about the special teams, uh, how we can cover better and and stuff like that. Um, they never asked me to. No, not not like that. They never asked me to coach or anything like that. I've spoken to the team on a couple of occasions for different reasons. Um, once for Sean McDermott, but um, no, I'm no. And, and I'll tell you this too. Um, I'm I've been asked this before. I'm not really in the. I'm not really a coach. Um, if I would have applied myself and wanted to do it, I could have done it. I think I could have gotten my foot in the door and gone as a special teams coordinator someplace uh, later in my as, as I work my way up the ranks. I don't expect to like as soon as I retire to be one. But if I would have wanted to go into coaching, uh, obviously that was open to me. But like it is for every player, I I didn't want that lifestyle for myself or my family. That's basically why I never did it. I didn't want that lifestyle. Um, and so for now, now as a guy as old as I am, I'm pretty unqualified now as the, as the game has evolved. I can speak in generalities, but I'm I'm not ready to go in and and now on an individual basis, I could t- coach a guy up on how to yeah, release and, and techniques and stuff like that. But as far as the big picture goes, I'm I'm unqualified for that. I'm uh, I can only speak in generalities and how you know the thought processes. But as an individual player, I can speak to that pretty clearly. Um, so now I'm. Coaching is not a lifestyle that I wanted for myself or my family, and that's why I never did it. Break time for us here, because in hour number two, we're going to be joined by Sam Monson from Pro Pro Football Focus. We'll talk a little free agency with him, among other topics, as it pertains to the Bills and their cap situation. We'll get to that when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here, hour number two on a Friday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Pleased to be joined by Pro Football Focus NFL lead analyst Sam Monson, who joins us on the show. And, uh, you know, we've, we're diving headlong into the offseason with the Super Bowl in the rearview mirror. We started a few weeks earlier than that, Sam. But, um, you know, looking at the free agent picture out there, I realize the combine comes first on the calendar, but free agency is where they're going to be able to change the roster primarily. And the Bills have some cap compliancy work to do, uh, being as far over the cap as they are. There seems to be a reasonable path to doing that. Um, but I don't foresee them being active in the market early. I kind of see them taking part in wave two, maybe even as late as wave three, when the, the cost of doing business comes down precipitously. What do you anticipate the bills being in terms of buyers in the free agent market as you see it? Yeah, I agree with you. I think they'll be shopping in the, the the second or third wave of free agency, which, to be honest, I think is the right way of doing it anyway. Generally, I think the best bargains in free agency tend to happen in those second or third wave, which doesn't necessarily mean you have to wait until all of these players are taken and then see who's left and kind of go through a, another round of auctioneering. You can get that business done on day one. It's just you have to know that right away you're shopping at a different price bracket than some of the other teams with money to spend who are going after the biggest name. So I think there are going to be players out there that Buffalo will be interested in and, and maybe even signing or talking to right away. It's just they're not going to be in that that first obvious wave of free agency. I think the defensive interior is a really um, intriguing position this year in terms of free agents. There's some big-name guys out there assuming they hit the market. You know, Chris Jones, Justin Matabike, maybe neither of those guys are going to actually become free agents. They might get tagged or locked up before that. But there's some guys lower down on that list that I think Buffalo would definitely be interested in talking to and maybe bringing in or an area that, that's sort of losing talent at the moment in terms of what they've got hitting the market. One of the things we've talked about at length uh, over the Brandon Bean tenure here in Buffalo and something that has become a trend around the league are one-year deals. Um, Buffalo had a ton of those guys on their roster this year signing one-year deals. You see other teams beginning to do that in free agency, particularly with, like you said, where the Bills shop in that second wave of free agency – These guys feel like if they come to Buffalo, put together a good season for a playoff caliber team, they could get one more shot at another team in free agency. And plus, it keeps, even though the money's not guaranteed, it kind of is because they're they're signing these guys to play. So it seems like a really good strategy. Do you see that widening in its scope around the league? Yeah, I think there is a little bit of a trend towards kind of prove-it deals in the NFL. I think for for the first time in a while, both sides are starting to like what that brings to the table. Um, you know, the, the players are, are looking for that one year because the, the big contract they're looking for isn't there now. So rather than take a lower market deal, they're betting on themselves on a one-year increment and trying to, to cash in next year. Um, and then I think the teams are are bring, liking the value that those players can bring to the table, motivated, trying to bet on themselves, trying to make one really good year to then go and get paid somewhere else. So I think it's a nice um, concept that works for a lot of uh, player and team combinations. And a team like Buffalo can sell players on, you know, come and try and win a championship as well. I know they haven't done done it yet, but they're going to be contenders. You know, Josh Allen with the talent that is there on that Buffalo team. 
they can sell teams on or sell players on, you know, come have a good year for us. You'll be playing for a, a championship caliber team. You have a shot at winning a ring as well. There's a lot of good points to that. You're not going to lose value by having a good year here. I want to flesh out, you know, that defensive tackle conversation that you touched on uh, a little bit earlier there, Sam, because yes, it's a market that will be flush with defensive tackle talent. Um, I, I just wonder how how deep Buffalo can dip their toe there. It is an expensive position. Um, I think there is value in the market, but we know that they do want to bring Daquan Jones back, and I think we all understand why. He's a little longer in the tooth. Do you have any players in mind that's that are somewhere in the 26 to 29-year-old year range who could fit? in what is anticipated to be a, a pretty strict free agent budget for Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're shopping in that second and third wave, you're talking about players where there's there's some concern. There's a red flag somewhere, right? So you're not talking about these perfect prospects. But there's a couple of guys, I think, that I would certainly be interested in talking to if I'm Buffalo. One is Javon Kinlaw from the 49ers, a former first-round pick, was expected to be an incredible pass rusher in the NFL. Years worth of injuries. Just really slow start to his career. Didn't really happen until this year where he's had a really good season just before free agency. I'd be really curious to know what the market for him is like. Now, maybe it's going to be much hotter than the Bills can stand because he's got that former first-round pedigree, and we finally got to see what he could do with a healthy season, albeit one with Javon Hargrave and Nick Bosa and you know all the talent that the 49ers have around him. But if teams are scared away by his injury history, he would certainly be one to talk to. Um, and then Tier Tart, the, the guy that used to play for the Tennessee Titans, um, there's some sort of character concern and some attitude issues with him, but he's been a very good disruptive player for the Titans when he was on the field before um, they they fell out with him. Again, a guy that I would be intrigued to talk to, to, to figure out if there's a natural mesh there, and if there is someone that could absolutely present value given the sort of red flags, I think, that will be out there uh, for other teams. And what... And- Obviously, also the Bills and their number two wide receiver free agency draft. Um, we always tend to think, oh, it's going to be a great draft. We're going to see if we can get one. But basically, most of these teams, and the Bills have really done this in past years, they fill all these holes with free agency so that they can get to the point where it doesn't have to be a need uh, when the player comes up on the draft board. They can draft the best player who's going to be the best pro no matter what position he makes. What do you think about that philosophy, and where does that leave the Bills with a number two wide out in a dra- in a wide receiver deep draft? Yeah, I mean, generally, philosophically, I think that's a smart way of doing business. You shouldn't go into the draft with needs to fill. You want to fill your needs. You want to get players that you're comfortable starting, even if they're not necessarily the best players in the world. Just a guy you know can go out there and do a job, worst-case scenario, so that you don't have to chase players in the draft. That being said... I think it is an incredible wide receiver draft. And whether you're going to draft one in the first round, the second round, or even later in the draft, I think you can get guys this year um, that can come in, be impact contributors right away, You know, make an immediate impact. We saw last year the Texans drafted Tank Dell in the third round. He's one of the better wide receivers in that draft class right out of the gate. I, I think you're going to be able to get players that can make that kind of impact deep into this draft. So. I think absolutely they can dip their toe in free agency, bring in you know one or two low price wide receivers that they can fill out the depth chart. 
but I think absolutely they're going to be targeting what receiver in this draft as well. And I'd be very surprised if they didn't come away with one in those first few rounds. Yeah. And it may have to come in round one if the board falls right, because I think the general consensus is the Bills don't just need an outside presence in their receiving core, but they need someone capable of taking over the number one receiving role, maybe as soon as the second half of next year, certainly by 2025. Um, so you need someone with pedigree and an ability to step into a giant role pretty early in their career. That usually needs to happen at the top of the draft. And the problem is the Bills are picking 28th. Um, and they're not the only team looking for an alpha male at wide receiver. Um, I know it's early. And, you know, how are we going to predict what's going to be available at 28? The Bills missed the receiver run last year, got one of the best pass catching tight ends in the draft. Brandon Bean pivoted and pivoted well. Um, do you think it's deep enough to perhaps still find a guy who at least down the line could be a number one as low as 28? No, I, I really do, actually. I think so. One of the differences between this year's wide receiver group and last year's last year's once you got beyond the first couple of picks and even actually the, the first couple of guys like Jordan Addison, um, so many of the wide receivers were small, you know, and they were sort of questions whether they could be number one guys or whether they could just come in and be really useful parts of a receiving core. But there was a real lack of those kind of big bodied X type receivers, those prototypical number one size players um, for the first couple of rounds. And then they started to come back later in the draft this year. I think there's a ton of those guys. I actually think that's a strength of this draft and maybe they're not as good uh, across the board as they were a year ago, but there's a lot of guys that you would say, okay, right now, maybe that guy is not a number one, but maybe next year he could step in with a year of development in the NFL and he could be a true number one guy. I'm thinking of guys like A.D. Mitchell from from Texas. Keon Coleman from Florida State is going to be a polarizing one that is going to divide a lot of people, but I think he has that kind of potential. Troy Franklin from Oregon. These are all guys that have, I think, that kind of potential, maybe not year one, but year two. Why is Keon Coleman so polarizing for people out of Florida State? He's got a lot of sort of troubling um, metrics, troubling production numbers. It's very difficult to construct a statistical case that he's going to be an elite top-end receiver. Um, but you, you watch the tape. I actually think he was much better this year than he was a year ago at Michigan State, even though the numbers would say the reverse. Um, I think there's a lot of evidence of him developing as a route runner this year. I think you can see a lot more nuance to his game. If you watch him return punts, I think you see him move an awful lot better than he did uh, catching some of these kind of screens that went nowhere for Florida State. So I, I, there's a lot of potential there. Some of his highlight plays are absolutely mind-blowing and spectacular. Um but people are going to get bogged down in the numbers. They're going to get bogged down with the lack of production relative to a lot of these other guys. Um, and I think he'll he'll have a lot of people sort of against him because he doesn't tick a lot of these boxes. He will be an outlier if he succeeds because most receivers, you know, they do come with that kind of college production. Right. And if we're just going to take a sample of what Buffalo was valuing in terms of pass catchers last year, and, you know, Kincaid is an example of this, they were focused on separation ability and catch rate because that was an issue. I mean, this team was second in the league in drop passes in 2022. They just wanted to find guys with high catch rates and who could separate to be early, easy button answers for Josh in the passing game. Um, does Coleman fit that bill or is he too much of an enigma to put in that box? 
Yeah, so it's inconsistency. I mean, he has some plays where his ability to catch the ball is absolutely insane. Like, he jumps up over a guy, one hands a post route over the middle in a way that there might be two guys in his draft class who are able to do that. Um, but he'll also drop a couple of easy ones as well. He's got some plays where he does show really nice ability to separate, particularly late in the play, you know, just a quick bounce in one direction to get into a hole and to to settle into a gap and give the quarterback a window but he doesn't separate uh, in man coverage consistently the way some of these other receivers do. So I think if you're drafting Keon Coleman, you're doing it with the idea that he is a bit of a project and you're, you're going to try and sort of teach him that the real nuances of how to get that consistency to his game. And if he can do that, then I think he can become special, but I think there are a lot of teams that will be scared away by that and will instead kind of look to a safer option in this draft. How many guys, wide receivers we're talking about, will go in the first round? You think it'll be like, and I'm not saying a specific number, but is it like at least four and maybe as many as eight, something like that? Well, how many are you thinking are absolutely going to be gone after the first round? Yeah, I think it's probably going to be five or six, something like that. Um, I think it's a strong group of wide receivers. The top three are better than they were a year ago. You know, last season we were debating between Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith and Jigba and, and Quentin Johnston. This year, Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, he might be the best prospect to come along in a decade um, out of Ohio State. Malik Neighbors, Rome Dunze, those are the top three guys, I think, on, on almost every single board. All of those guys I think you would see as consistently – they would all of them would be number one a year ago. Um, so I think those three are are probably in the top half of the first round, maybe even the top ten. And then it's a case of you know Brian Thomas, Keon Coleman, Ad Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, maybe Troy Franklin. There's going to be a bunch more of these guys. I think you'll get two, maybe three more of them in the first round. And does anybody is there anybody that comes to mind there with some of that criteria that I mentioned, like a high catch rate guy? who's a consistent separator, who, who would fall into that bucket if you had to pick one or two? A name that is sneaking into some first rounds is Lad McConkey, the, the Georgia wide receiver. That guy's got incredible acceleration. Um, his blaze outs, those kind of routes that Julio Jones always used to run, you know, you sort of fake inside and then break right out towards the sideline and just leave the DB flying into the middle of the field. He runs those as well as anybody I can remember seeing since Julio Jones. He's got great hands. He's a guy I think that would absolutely tick those boxes and could easily slip into the first round at this point. Good stuff. Good Sam, stuff. thanks for Sam, the time as so always. Uh, hope you feel better over the weekend here, and we'll catch up with you down the line this offseason. Thanks. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sam. All right, that's Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus lead NFL analyst. Uh, those guys crunch the numbers over there all the time, and they're already headlong into the draft class. So we figured we'd bounce some names off of him, see what he thought, especially at that receiver position. I like McConkie too. I just wish he was four inches taller. Yeah. Well, um, he, Bills need size in the receiving core, especially if Gabe doesn't come back. Yeah, I would agree. And we, we've talked about it. Um, the guys they brought in last year to try and make this team couldn't make this team that were those big sized guys, you know, like Justin Shorter and, and Shavers. Um, now they hung Marcel around. Aitman was here Marcel too. Marcel Aitman, yeah, they they had some guys. We we noticed all through training camp how big the wide receiver group was that they brought in to try out and get on this team, and none of them could make it. You know, they still ended up going with Surefield and Deontay Hardy and uh, Khalil Shakir and Gabe. Um, tough roster to crack last year. We'll see if it's as difficult this year, particularly since it seems to me there's even fewer spots. Yeah. 
And I look, I'll be the first to tell you, I realize it's hard to find a sure thing just about anywhere in the draft after pick 15. But, man, if I'm taking a receiver in the first round, I want as close to a sure thing as possible. And I don't like what I'm hearing <laughs> on Keon <laughs> Coleman. There seems to be a wide variance of opinion on him. And those make any GM nervous. Right. Like when there isn't a consensus on somebody and the discerning opinions are more than just one or two, that's cause for concern. It, it makes right. you do more homework to say, well, did I really see that right? Maybe I need to go back and look again. Um, it causes yeah. anxiety and consternation among personnel well, executives. It, it, yeah. I mean, you have the courage of your convictions. If you believe in the guy, you believe in the guy. But when you hear differing opinions to the degree that we're already hearing on Keon Coleman, it makes you wonder a little bit. Yeah, like, is it I worth know. the risk kind of thing? You know what right. I mean? Right. He and he and Sam's right. I mean, he's got some highlight real stuff that is stupid. Like, here's the problem. And he's a transfer too. Yeah. I mean, he was at All Michigan of, State, yeah. goes to Florida State last year. All of us fall into this trap where you want to get a quick glance at the guy. You go to his highlight film. You know, yeah, and that's the best of the best. Let me stuff just say that he this: does. even I have a highlight film, <laughs> so don't get caught up in that. You know, yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. You know, yeah, I just. For the sake of them hitting on it. And look, Brandon Bean's track record in round one is lights out since he's been GM of the Bills. I mean, you can run down the list of his first round picks. There's, listen, I, yes. There aren't misses really in there. I agree. Yes, I agree. And when this is all said and done and we're getting into training camp, I just know, you just know there's going to be a lot to be excited about with this club. Because they are going to find some guys that fit the physical description of what they're looking for. And there's going to be a lot of potential on the field, and some of it may be more proven than we're ready to believe they can pay for right now. But there's going to be a ton of them that we're waiting to find out about, and we're going to have high hopes that they're going to be more than what we think they can be. That's, that's going to be the fun of it. Well, that's, that's going to be the fun I, of it. That's why I think I'm – a little more excited about this draft class than others because it's strong at some of the positions where the Bills need some help. Right. Receiver we were, being one of them. Defensive tackle is pretty good. It's not as deep as receiver, but it's pretty good. Brownie and I were talking yesterday, and when you know we've been going around. Um, if the Bills, like, bundle their first and second round pick, the 28th and the 60th pick. You can get up to 17th. You can get up you all me. the way up to 17th the 17th pick this which is Jacksonville. So they can they could well, get up business if, with last year. Yes, yes, and Jacksonville and Cincinnati. So they could conceivably pull off a deal like that and give up a draft pick, you know, a number 2 draft pick to jump up what amounts to 11 spots in the first round. So if one of these guys that we're talking about drops that far you could see him making that quick and easy deal to get a, you know, a lead dog. It's fun to think about. I don't know if they'll do it, and I don't know if they'd have to pa- if they'd want to package a two with the one because then they're you know they get one player for two really high picks. Yeah, depends on how they feel about the guy. I would imagine. Yeah, it's like I said earlier this week when you're picking twenty eight. You're you're largely at the mercy of what unfolds in front of you. 
Yeah. Uh, there is very little control there. Right. Because even if you want to move up, you're not dealing from a position of strength in terms of the value of the pick you currently hold anyway. So you're already, I don't want to say you're at a disadvantage, but you're not in an advantageous spot to exercise greater control on what is happening in front of you on the draft board. And so by virtue of that, you just got to take the best hand you are dealt because you are literally, when you're picking 28, getting dealt cards saying, yeah, this card's out of the deck, this card's out of the deck, this card's out of the deck. Now let right. me see you come up with a straight flush. Best right. of luck to you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what you're up That's against right. when you're picking 28th. Now there's – and but the problem is we've known from years past and, and there's tons of anecdotal evidence to say, yeah, you can do it. Well, yes. You can do it. You can pull Steph Diggs out of the fifth round. You know? Right. But you that can, exercise is even more of a needle in a haystack – Absolutely, what they're trying to do in round one alone. Absolutely, and but and the the problem is too, and I and it's blast me to say I'm just I'm exaggerating to make a point again. Oh, you're doing that. There's nothing that says Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't come out and just flame out, gone, done. He's yeah. he's horrible. Whatever. There's nothing that says that. There's no guarantees. There in are this no business. guarantees. There are no guarantees. So you've really you you go you go with your gut, and you find out as much about these guys as you can possibly find out. And you try and keep everything in perspective. You don't want to make too much of some warts that the guy has, and you don't want to put too much shine on something that wasn't meant to be shiny. Right. It's man, it's art. It ain't science. As much as we'd like to quantify it, it's art. And it's it's always gonna be. Yeah. It's always gonna be. Let's uh, go to the phones and to Jim in Rochester. What do you got for us, Jim? Hey, uh, glad to be here, guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, got a question similar to the one I was just hearing about. Was uh, I follow a lot of the mock drafts just to see. It's fun for me to watch them. Yeah. And I wondered about uh, one that I just heard about, and it was uh, the Bills trading with the Arizona Cardinals, switch spots, and drafting uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> and in that, in that draft, they suggested – that they uh, give their pick plus digs for Arizona's fourth pick. Yeah, yeah. I, you, a player would have to be involved, almost certainly, Jim, for that to happen. Uh, the only problem with that equation is the dead cap hit that Stephon Diggs would represent on Buffalo's cap. That's the problem because um, I think he's making $24 million this year. And essentially what you've got is a guy whose dead cap hit, if you traded him, would be $31 million on Buffalo's cap. Right. You'd um, be paying. You would be paying. You can't afford that. That's why I love all this conversation about Diggs. Get, is he going to be here next year? Is he going to be here next year? He's going to be here. Just look at the money. They can't move him if they wanted to. $31 million dead cap. That's a death knell for a team that's already 51 over. Yeah. Like, he's, he's going to be here. Um, and while I, th- while I agree with you, Jim, I think the scenario that you read is accurate from the standpoint of, yes, if they want to get that high up the board, they're probably going to have to put a frontline player in the deal to do it because, as Steve calculated yesterday, you'd have to give up your entire draft this year and a first-rounder next year 
to get up that high just with draft capital, right. you almost certainly would have to put a front-line player you in are, there to offset some of that. That means you're putting not only – what it basically what it came down to is it wasn't enough to put all 10 of this year's draft picks and trade – to trade the Arizona Cardinals for that pick. At four. At yeah. number four. There's not enough – on the value chart, that's not enough. So you're thinking – so – Conversely, you're saying that Steph Diggs is more valuable than nine picks in the NFL draft, starting from the 28th pick all the way down through. Ten, you know, ten picks. Um, that's a big ask. And Arizona would, would laugh in your face. They would absolutely laugh in your face if you offered them that deal. Oh, you think so? Yeah, probably. They're not going to trade Marvin Harrison Jr. for Steph Diggs and right. nothing. Right. That's... And that's if he's even on the board at four. They get they get a guy who they may feel is be- going to be better right out of the gate than Steph Diggs, and is significantly cheaper. Yeah. So they're they're going to be like, <laughs> no. as we said, the dead cap hit is too cost prohibitive to make that happen anyway. Got to take a break here. When we come back, might be time for a little NFL true false, Steve. It's been a minute. May have to pull that out of the vault and wow. see what we have on the agenda. When we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on a Friday on One Bills Live. We'll get back to the phone calls in just a second. But before we do that, we do a little NFL true-false presented by Patron Tequila, the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin with true-false question number one, Steve. Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud was the biggest surprise of the 2023 season. True or false? Yeah, I'd say true. You would? Yeah. They're, that The Texans are like two years or 18 months out of being a laughingstock of a franchise. Mm. And, you know, they they hired their D'Amico coach, Ryans. Uh, D'Amico Ryans. Uh, as a, it seemed like a fallback measure. It seemed like a, a concession to the fact they couldn't get anybody to say yes, kind of thing. Um, they take Stroud, who was considered like, you know, they didn't draft him number one overall, right? They took him number two, so they didn't get the the top guy. Yeah, I would say yes, absolutely. He, he took the Texans to the playoffs. I, I think he's got to be the biggest surprise of the season. I think because he was drafted so high, you're expecting him to play with some measure of ability. Did they, did I expect him to take off the way he did and lead the team to the playoffs? No. Um, the bigger surprise, I'm going to say false, because the bigger surprise for me is a fifth-round draft choice by the name of Puka Nakua. That's the biggest surprise in the entire season for me. That guy... Tore the league up. What did he have? 125 receptions. Well, yeah, that's insane. I, and I know it sounds sacrilegious. I get it. He and wow, fifth round pick. Puka, kudos, man. That's awesome. I just got to say this: that position is about opportunity and getting the ball thrown at you. And playing for the Rams, that's a great spot to land. Uh, I think there's a couple of guys in the dra- in this draft. Who would have had the season Puka Nakua had if they'd been switched places? You know, some other wide. One hundred and five receptions for fourteen hundred and eighty-six yards. I think there are other guys who can play as well as Puka. Uh, I don't know that there's any quarterbacks in this draft that would have played as well as 
C.J. Stroud did in Houston if they'd been like if if yeah. you know he came out of nowhere. That's that's, that's the only true. reason that I that is true. He say did, that was a bigger surprise. That he he was an Easter egg, no question about it. Yeah. That guy is like, wow, look at look what they found. NFL true false number two: the Bears will trade quarterback Justin Fields. <laughs> I think yes. I think it's true. I think they're going to because I think that's the road to botching this whole thing. And that's what the Bears are going to do. I think they're going to botch it. I I think that's the way they do it. I don't know how good Justin Fields is ever going to be. I really don't. I don't think you can get a fair a fair assessment of how good or bad he is playing for that franchise over the last two years. I think he has a chance to be good. I don't know how good, but better than he was in Chicago. Yeah. Do you read anything into the fact that the Bears brought in a new offensive coordinator in Shane Waldron this this offseason? Does that does that lend greater credence to your belief that they'll trade him or do you think they're trying to fix whatever is missing in their offense to help Justin Fields? How do you see the coordinator change as it pertains to Fields? Good, bad or indifferent? Well, if they're going to change if, That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that it has to do with Fields. Okay. I think it has might have to do with the next guy. Okay. So yeah. So you see it as a negative. Okay. For free for Fields as far as Fields. Is well, concerned. it could be. If, I mean, I, yeah. I don't. It, and it may have. A, it may be a reflection on what they saw overall. That guy's got to start over again if he stays there. New offense. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It, they're going to botch it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. I think somebody's going to make – I tend to agree with you. I say true. I think somebody's going to make a sweet enough deal to convince them to move on from him, and they'll restart the clock at the quarterback position again. I think they will, and I think – I mean, Eberflus is going to be history there after this next year. Well, if you get a new quarterback, you could buy a little more time. Your GM and your head coach can go to the ownership and be like, look, we just Give drafted a, a rookie quarterback. We need a little more time. and. <laughs> That's, you know, if they show up with a that's with the a, crutch you can if they up. show up with a bad offensive line again, yeah. fire everybody. <laughs> that's why some people have mocked uh, Joe Alt, you know John Alt's son, to uh, be the first pick in the draft to the Bears. Uh, true false number three: Jim Harbaugh will lead the Chargers to the playoffs in twenty twenty four. All right, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a wild card berth, right? Because the Chiefs are going to win. You don't have beaten the Chiefs in the division. Denver, and then you got Raiders. You got teams like Cincinnati. Raiders are going to Raiders are going to be fourth in that division. Yeah, but then you got to count wild cards. You only have three in the AFC, right? And you had three in the NFC AFC North this year: the Bengals, Pittsburgh, and the Browns, and the Bengals. Good grief! They're gonna. They may win it next year. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, that's hard row. And and they have some cap issues. So I'm leaning false here. I think they'll be. Now they are playing. They are playing Denver twice, the Raiders twice, and all those AFC North teams could knock each other off. Particularly if Joe Burrow stays healthy. Yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if it does happen. I don't know. There's That's something a big that tells ask. me it's not going to happen. That's a big ask. In year one? Like, maybe it does. I, I, it may, I, I think, Jim, we've seen that, He's though. He's a fixer. Harbaugh, 
Harbaugh straighten he'll straighten them out quick. So I'm gonna say you know what I'm gonna say yes. Okay. I'm gonna say yes because of the weak division aside from the the Chiefs and the AFC North just being too good to you know it's gonna be too competitive for those teams to have to run off and leave anybody. I don't think Baltimore's gonna have the kind of year they had this year next year. I think Cincinnati will have a better year. In fact, Baltimore-Cincinnati may flip. Hmm. All four of those teams had a winning record in the AFC North. That's rare. Yeah, All four teams. So I'm going to say, yeah, I think there is going to be room at the top, and I think the Chargers may be the team that slips in. Okay, fair enough. That is NFL True-False presented by Patron Tequila. Let's jump back on the phones and go to Ryan in Toronto. What's up, Ryan? Steve, how are you guys? Good, good. Good. So my my uh, comment is this whole situation is how the Bills are in right now. All I think started with 2019 draft when uh, the Bills traded for Shaquan Diggs uh, to the Minnesota Vikings, and the Vikings picked up with that trade. Yes, Justin Jefferson. If you just kept that trade and. Yeah, Jefferson, he's 24 years old, rookie contract. We will not be in a situation where we're looking for a wide receiver and will not have uh, have a salary uh, cap hit right now. I just want to hear your comments. Yeah, I res- that's I, true. Well, I think it's only partially true. And the reason why I say that, Ryan, is because the Vikings have to pay him right now. Yeah, now the Vikings. And they're going to have to pay him more than Stephon Diggs is making. So that's number one. Second part is... You want to swap one number one wide receiver for the other, that's fine. The bottom line is the Bills still need a number two. They still need a number two. Whether it's Jefferson or Diggs as your one, you still need a number two. So Jefferson's going to get paid this offseason, and watch. I guarantee you it will be more than what Diggs is making. That's first. Second, they still need a number two guy. Yeah, they still need another guy. Um. But you're right. You're, you can make say what you want about the last four years, but I don't think too many Bills fans would trade Steph Diggs back. You know, they. I think he'd, he's had Both a run teams here. Benefited from yeah, it was trade. a win-win. Certainly, Diggs was more proven on the at the time of the trade. They didn't yeah. know if Justin Jefferson was going to be there, but hey, power to him, man. They did it. Uh, but I don't think the Bills would would switch up on that trade. Um, and the and Brownie's right. Uh, we may not have the salary cap. We might not be over fifty million dollars right now with the salary cap, but we'd be headed there very this, soon. Very soon, because you got to pay Justin Jefferson even more. He's right, and you still one for one. You're still down a guy. You still need a guy in this draft. Nothing has changed in this draft yeah. if all things are equal. So it's yes. It, the point is taken. They would have not been paying Justin Jefferson what they have paid. Stefan Diggs, and they could have used that money somewhere else. But those chickens are coming home to roost right now. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think with. But then again, the Minnesota Vikings haven't gotten a whiff of what the Bills have, the success the Bills have had over the last four years. Now you can say that's the difference between Kirk Cousins and Josh Allen, and I'll listen. But that you know, still the Bills have had a swing at it four straight years, and that's really what you're after. You got, and now they want another one for they want yeah. five straight years. Let's go. Um, that's what they're going to do. Got to take a break here. Some final thoughts when we return. Maybe a tweet sheet comment or two here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. 
back quickly for a couple of comments on the tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. Barbera asks, if Vaughn retires in exchange for a position in the GM office, which is where he wants to be eventually, would that wipe out his cap hit? No. Um, The only part of his cap hit that could be wiped out would be the portion of the signing bonus that the Bills would want back based on the number of years lopped off of his contract, which would be the final three or four if he retires before the season starts. So that would be like 18 and a quarter million they would get back. That would be the only stuff that comes off the cap. Ed asks, will Brandon Bean be using a scalpel, chainsaw, machete, or pizza cutter when dealing with roster adjustments this offseason? I think he'd like to use a scalpel, Steve. May have to resort to a pizza cutter. Yeah, the pizza cutter is probably a little more accurate. Maybe a straight edge, you know. Yeah. It might not. He wants to cut a fine line, but it may yeah. have to be a little bit bigger than even he wants. Yeah. That's it for us this week. Tune in next week for the exciting continuation of One Bills Live. Chris Brown and Steve Tasker wishing you a good weekend. Stay warm out there, everybody. We'll see you on Monday.